Hi, I'm Lindsay Boomershine, brand manager of High Five Gear. H5G has thousands of designs to choose from and no hidden artwork fees. How awesome is that? Have your jersey tell your story. Order online at www.high5gear.com today. Add H5G into your wardrobe and show off your individuality. Use code ABOVE180 at checkout for $20 off any H5G style. Order today and enjoy high5gear.com. Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me in the Above180.com podcast is Tyrell Rose. Tyrell is bowling this month's director of content. He's a former head coach of Team Canada. He's also a bronze-level USBC certified coach. Tyrell, it's Tim Berg here. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, I thought we'd begin since you are based up in Canada. You're the former head of, uh, former head coach of Team Canada. You have a lot of experience coaching. You compete as well up in Canada. And one of the things I haven't really addressed so on the podcast is how things are going for you guys regarding COVID. As things have pretty much opened up a lot of places here in the states, how are things uh, up in Canada? And, and what can you share with our listeners regarding the state of bowling up uh, up that way? I mean, like a lot of industries, it's been a bit of a rough year. Uh, things are slowly opening up kind of across the country. Um, I think like in the States, every province kind of mandates its own regulations in a lot of ways. So uh, different places have had different closures and different places are opening up already. Uh, rightly or wrongly, I think there's been a lot of um, frustration in that bowling being grouped with certain activities that maybe are less risky or more risky. Um, but it has been a rough year. I think that everybody's looking forward to the season starting again in 2021, hopefully with no restrictions and, and leagues, you know, getting back in, you know, full tilt. Because uh, it's been a lot, a lot of bowling centers been for, closed for a lot of this past season. All right. Well, uh, Tyrell, the reason I'm bringing you on is you're, as I mentioned in the intro, you're bowling this month's director of content. You have some great pieces mm -hmm. up there. I want to hit some of those pieces. And, uh, and obviously, if people want to learn more in depth than what we can do in a, in a podcast form, they can go to bowlingthismonth.com and subscribe. I, I, you know, it's uh, very inexpensive and lots of great uh, information there. But I want to begin with something I saw that caught my eye that you did um, five simple steps to mastering lane play. And you go through different uh, things. And the one that uh, stuck out to me was part four, where you talk about trusting your gut. Can you explain that? And uh, what is the biggest roadblock for bowlers when it comes to trusting their gut? Well, I think, first of all, there's a bit of a, like a misconception uh, in, in a lot of bowlers, like in terms of, you know, having a feel for the lanes, or I'm a feel bowler, or I'm not a feel bowler. 
uh, I think the fact is that, that all really good bowlers have a feel for the lanes. They develop a feel, even if they are you know, considered to be more cerebral, like a Chris Barnes type of character, uh, very thoughtful, but he has a feel for what's going on. And this is generally developed through uh, experience. Now, natural feel bowlers, can't always point to why they change balls or why they're doing this and it's working. Um, but the fact is that something kind of inside them has told them, Hey, what you're doing isn't working. Uh, you need to change something. And it's really through trial and error and experience uh, and the coaching as well um, that you can kind of put the pieces together for yourself to, to solve the riddles of the lanes. Uh, there's no two bowlers that are alike in how they're going to approach lane play uh, and there's no way they can have the exact same adjustment process. As a coach, the challenge is to kind of guide your bowlers into understanding that. And as a bowler, uh, the, the harder part of the process, of course, is, is like learning from failure and, and internalizing those mistakes so that you don't make them again and then make better moves faster the next time. One thing always sticks out to me when I think about this and making a, a, a move, whether it's a ball change or a, a zone change, is I had a guy tell me out at, um, I can't remember what tournament I was bowling, but I had a, a pretty rough game, maybe in the 150s, 160s, and he said, well, what, what, can, what can go worse? What can go wrong if you make a change? I mean, you go in the 140s, <laughs> you know? So mm -hmm. I, I think sometimes you just have to make that make that move and I remember it was a few years back on the PWBA tour that the announcers made a, a big uh, a big mention of it but Kelly Kulik heading up into the 10th frame made a ball change well she's one of mm -hmm. the best women players in the world and she understands her equipment knows her equipment to make that change and that's what we need to learn as well learn our equipment know our equipment so when we're in a tournament setting or even a league setting we have that confidence to make that ball change a hundred percent. And it, it works the other way too. Uh, and the, you, what your story reminds me of is just recently the, um, the Kyle Troop uh, versus Francois Lavoie match. Kyle Troop had just shot 260, I believe with like 10 out of 12 strikes or, or, or something, uh, the front eight. Uh, and in practice between that match and the next match, he changed balls and he started the, the game with three splits out of four. And, you know, as, as commentators, as announcers, as, as spectators, you can't know what he was thinking about. Clearly, it didn't work. But he doesn't make that change unless he doesn't think the other ball he had wasn't going to work either. You know, so he trusted his gut. In this case, his gut wasn't 100% accurate. Um, but you don't get to be one of the best bowlers in the PBA Tour without being able to commit to a decision taking a chance on something and being right more often than not. In this case, he was wrong. It was on TV, so everybody knows he was wrong. Uh, but that's how you get to be one of the best players in the world. You, you take those chances, you make those decisions, and you make more right ones than wrong ones. And like Kelly Kulik, who was right in this scenario, or, or Kyle, who was wrong, um, that's how you get to that level, regardless. And uh, and staying along this line here of equipment, you also had a, a very interesting piece out where you talked about uh, which ball to throw and when. That's one thing that I think a lot of players get confused on. When should I throw an asymmetric ball? When do I throw symmetric? When, if I have urethane, when should I use urethane? Um, mm -hmm. Can you help guide people with some of that and, and when when they should be uh, throwing the you know those different like I said the different types of balls and then even um, uh, what what sort of things we should be looking for on the lanes that'll help us to make those decisions. 
that is that is yeah it's quite the the topic uh it's very hard to break that down when i write articles like that uh and and give lessons it's obviously much easier you know one-on-one on the lanes to kind of go through what we're seeing and and feedback uh and and, and learn quickly on, on terms of adjustments but in essence you know taking the right ball is is about choosing the reaction shape that um will get the ball to get through the pins the right way and I mean, that's the, the very basic of it. And I think most bowlers, most listeners would understand that. The challenge is because the lanes are changing, uh, what people tend to overvalue is how much the ball hooks and not where the ball hooks. So, you know, if a ball is hooking, you know, going through the nose, uh, people tend to look at that. If it's hooking too much, I need to go to a ball that doesn't hook as much. And they're maybe not seeing the balls hooking too early versus you know, um, uh, the, the weaker ball might hook less, but it's still going to hook the same distance and still be early. It's going to be just as bad. It might hit the pocket, but it won't carry, you know? So I think people overvalue how much a ball hooks, both in terms of getting lined up on the fresh, uh, but then also in transition versus making sure you're getting the right shape down the lane. Uh, shorter, fresher patterns generally require, you know, a little bit earlier, smoother reaction, uh, whereas longer uh, lanes in transition tend to require uh, a little bit more angular, um, angular motions. And it's really the, the strength of the ball dictates where you play on those lanes, but the shape is what's going to work on those lanes regardless. Um, so again, it's, it's a little bit difficult to picture like in in the scenario of this podcast or reading an article um but if you can try to get your head around the reaction shape being more important than the actual total uh, amount of hook uh, you're setting yourself up for more success with lane play and along those same lines when you do make a change is there a number of when you're when you're warmed up you should you know you make a ball change to this ball do you do you give it three shots and then make adjustments off of the first one and after the third one, just like, okay, this wasn't the right choice either. Or do you go even, do you go to four or is three even too many? Yeah, it all depends on, on where you're at. Um, so for me, I think let's assume you're starting, you have no idea what the pattern is. You have no idea what, what, you know, you're bowling in a whole brand new center. You've never bowled in before. I think the, um, you take your benchmark ball, and once you're warmed up and throwing it at like, you know, 100%, basically, not that you can't get a read on the lanes while you're warming up, but at least give yourself until you've thrown at least one or two like full normal shots. And then you can decide from there. And again, uh, you know, I would, I would say, given that you've had a few shots of warm up and loosening up and then one or two really good shots, that should be all you need to let you know if this benchmark ball is, is close. And again, using the benchmark ball, you want to gauge not just how much the ball is hooking, but where is it hooking? Do I need a ball that is going to give me a little more angle? Do I need a ball that is going to be a little bit smoother in terms of the shape that it makes, uh, as well as kind of where to play? Uh, and then you can kind of narrow down. The reason the benchmark ball is so valuable, and I think that a lot of bowlers tend to skip over this point, is the benchmark ball should be the middle of your bag of how much it hooks and in terms of how angular it is. It shouldn't be your smoothest ball and it shouldn't be most angular ball. And the reason for this is, is, is because it, if it doesn't hook enough or if it's too angular uh, or not angular enough, you've cut your bag in half and your decision is to go with something. Let's say it, it, it's too angular. Well, if this is the middle ball, you have half of your bag is limited because it has more angle. So if the benchmark ball is too angular, then you have half your balls that you can go to that are smoother. If the benchmark ball is too smooth, well, 
all your smooth balls are, are staying in the bag and now you try something with more angle. Uh, I think that, again, a few shots of warm-up gives you some information. One or two shots at full kind of capacity should give you enough information to say that this is or is not a good reaction. Uh, and again, it depends on the the quality of, of the field you're playing against. Uh, and and uh, if you're bowling, you know, at a really high level, you know, in regional and national stops, you know, three or four frames uh, is way more than some of your competition is going to take. So uh, that might be a little too long to make a judgment. Uh, if you're if it's more recreational side, uh, three or four is, is good. And, and if you can be that quick, then you're going to be ahead of the field. Uh, so it's really a matter of, of your competition level uh, and, and just gauging it as, as well as you can. And then another thing that um, I've seen people do that run into this when they'll, they'll show up at a tournament and all their none of their equipment has been cleaned or it's all the same <laughs> surface. So that's another thing. In fact, I'm thinking this because um, I recently bowled state and the thing I did before state tournament is I made, I make sure I had everything the way I wanted and uh, and obviously then you can adjust in practice i can adjust in practice but if you walk in with everything with lane shine how does that you know then everything is going to react somewhat <laughs> somewhat similar it's not you're not going to see as much of a variance like you're saying so i think people we need to remember as bowlers too to uh, take care of our equipments and the preparation before a tournament is key as well yeah of course maintenance is so important um and so i'm a big fan of like uh, cleaning the equipment post uh, post-squad or post-round, whatever you want to call it, uh, and then prepping the equipment surface-wise before practice starts. To me, that's part of like a pre-competition routine that everybody should have, and one part of it should be prepping your surfaces, making sure that your balls are uh, at the surface you want them to be at. And this doesn't mean that they have to be at the same surface every time. Uh, it, it means that um, you know, depending on if you're bowling in a house that you've been in before and you know that's higher friction environment, okay, well, I'm going to need a little, maybe a little bit less surface on the ball. So the ball that I usually have at 1,000 for my league, I'm going to put it 2,000 before I start. Uh, again, that comes from experience and, and from feel for, for what you're doing. And, and also, if you, if you do have the advantage of knowing the center you're bowling at, you can, you can tweak your surface prep ahead of time or your strategy based on that. Uh, but definitely you should have and prepared your surfaces, you know, as part of your pre-comp routine, uh, getting ready, just like you're putting your shoes on and warming up. That should be part of part of that whole process. If you're looking to look good while you're out on the lanes, please check out h5gbrands.com, h5gbrands.com. H5G Brands, the official jersey of the PBA. They also provide great dye-supplemented jerseys. If you are heading out to the Open Championships, ran into a few folks over the weekend at my state tournament. They said, hey, Tim, thanks for mentioning H5G Brands. I got my $20 off. To get your $20 off, use promo code ABOVE180. That will get you $20 off your entire order. Dye supplemented jerseys. They walk you through the process. This was this gentleman's first time ordering through them. He said it was simple, straightforward, no hidden artwork fees, everything you need all at your fingertips. He got his jersey on time and looked great bowling in it. Again, check out h5gbrands.com. Use promo code ABOVE180. That will get you $20 off your order. Again, h5gbrands.com. Tyrell, one of the other articles you have that uh, always intrigues me, you guys do a lot on the website regarding technical information, and you guys talk about access control. And there's a lot of people, especially some of my newer listeners, they start hearing about access control and where is their positive access point and where is all this, and they're 
their head explodes. So <laughs> reading your article does a great job of explaining it to them. But can you also kind of go through that on the podcast and then why it's important for bowlers to understand these uh, these uh, numbers and, and what this means in their game? Yeah, sure. I mean, first of all, for anybody who's like a beginner getting into the sport, you know, ignore access control for now. That is not something you should be trying to manipulate for sure. And, and it's not the most important part of what you should be learning. So your release is essentially uh, a result of everything else coming before it in terms of your swing and your, your approach and, and your body position. So as a, as a beginner, focus on those things first and the release can improve as those things improve. And once you've established, you know, the, the foundation, then you can worry about, you know, um, the fine tuning the release. And then you can worry after that about, um, you know, adding manipulation elements of changing your access control. Uh, for your intermediate to advanced bowlers, I mean, it's definitely a skill that you want to have if you're going to be going to be competitive in today's, uh, today's bowling environment. You need to be able to adjust your speed and adjust your hand position. Those are the two things you have to be able to do if you're going to be competitive. Um, and while it's easy to get caught up in the numbers of where is my access point, that really only matters for the ball drillers, so they can drill your equipment. Uh, how much tilt do I have? How much access rotation do I have? Unless you're at a really high extreme amount of tilt or a very low tilt or a very high access rotation, like Pete Weber, um, it's really a matter of what is my normal rotation and my normal release, and then what happens when I come around it more or I stay behind it more. Um, I like to look at it more of the range of play. So, for example, uh, a great bowler uh, like can will have like 60 degrees of range between their, their straightest release, kind of most behind the ball, and uh, most around the ball, highest degree of axe rotation. And that's a great bowler. A lot of bowlers have a lot less than that and are really quite good. So really look at it in the sense of, let's say I have an average rotation of 45 degrees. You know, a little bit less is... 30 and a little bit more is 60. And for a lot of, you know, again, intermediate to advanced bowlers, that's, that's a fair amount of range. And it doesn't matter what the exact numbers are. What matters is, am I 15 degrees less or 10 degrees less or 20 degrees less? Am I doing that every time? And then when I'm doing it, what happens to my ball reaction? It all comes down to when I play with my straighter release, what happens to this bowling ball? Um, if this bowling ball hooks two boards less and five feet earlier, put that in my memory banks. That's something I'm going to use later. It doesn't matter what the numbers are in terms of your exact rotation. It matters what it is when you're using a different hand position. Um, sometimes uh, the biggest challenge for bowlers is getting caught up in the numbers. And there's so many numbers in the sport. Um, it's, it's good to throw them out once in a while and just focus on what is the ball doing? Because that is really what matters because what the ball is doing is what locks down the pin, not whether you have 85 or 87 degrees of extrication. And can you help the bowler? This is obviously something that is worked on during practice, not competition. Mm -hmm. Can you help a bowler that is looking to change their their access rotation? How do how do they do that? Is, is it something on they start out a little bit more on the ball on the side of their hand, or what, what's your advice for someone now? Somewhat putting on your coach's hat here. How would how would mm -hmm. a bowler want to do that? The first thing I will do when working with the bowler is exactly what you described, getting your hand in a different position uh, relative to your normal start position. So uh, most people with a, a kind of a, a solid stance position, their hand is under the ball to a certain degree, often on the side, slightly to share some weight between the right and left hand. Um, nobody's, you know, no two are alike exactly, but something like that. 
And so the first thing I will do when working with a bowler trying to, you know, um, learn to manipulate their axis rotation is to just simply change the hand position. So let's say the hand is sitting under the ball at about 4.30. Uh, well, then let's put that hand at 6. Let's put that hand at 3. Uh, and then see what happens with the ball reaction. The reason I like that method to start is it kind of applies the how you start is how you finish technique. If your hand starts on the side, it's more likely to finish on the side versus if the hand starts behind it, it's more likely to finish behind it. Um, now, again, this is assuming you already have some fundamentals. If, if your fundamentals aren't strong enough, uh, it might not make any difference yet. So this is really something more towards intermediate to the advanced players to start working on manipulating that. Uh, so I would start there. And then if that is effective, then it's a matter of practicing until you can repeat them and then you can do them on demand. If that doesn't seem to work, some, for some people that ends up changing um, like too much tilt or it doesn't change enough of the ball reaction, then we've got to look at maybe some other uh, ways to, to, to quote unquote cheat a little bit by getting the hand turning a little earlier in, in the swing. Uh, for some bowlers that use like large wrist guards, wrist guards do a lot of uh, work in terms of your hand position. So it's harder for you to change hand position sometimes. Uh, then we would look at, okay, do we just change the guard and, and, and maybe tweak that so it allows your hand to do something different? Uh, or do we, again, tweak how we're gripping the ball a little bit. Um, but generally, it's, it's mostly changing hand position at the, the start as, as the basis of, of figuring out how to manipulate your ball roll that way. All right, Tyrell, I want to uh, end our time talking about the USBC Open Championships going on out in Las Vegas. And also, I do also want to mention the Bowling This Month tournament, the BTM tournament as well, one of the side events going on in Vegas as well. So make sure you head uh, mm -hmm. head and check out uh, that tournament. Rick and Gail Ramsey always do a great job of running that. I try to mention that from time to time here on the show uh, about, the, about the great tournament they run uh, in conjunction with the Open Championship. But regarding, and by the way, uh, another really solid, uh, it's almost, I think sometimes when I bowl that it's almost tougher and more challenging than the uh, the pattern put out by the uh, by the folks at, at the uh, stadium, so I definitely think people should head there. But what advice do you have? I guess as as we're you know just over a month into the tournament, from what you're seeing mm -hmm. online and what you're hearing regarding the pattern and regarding uh, just the overall uh, condition out in Vegas and what's working for folks. From a general point of view, uh, the vast majority of bowlers, especially coming from uh, bowling more on house shots. Uh, underestimate how much they should have surface uh, at these types of tournaments. Uh, the harder the pattern is, generally the smoother the ball reaction that you want. Uh, so uh, unfortunately, a lot of bowlers ge gear towards uh, shinier equipment, kind of the, the snappier motions at the back because they look better uh, and generally work better on house shots. Uh, but as we go into the, the Open Championships and, and, and any kind of sport pattern, you want to take some of that polish off. We talked uh, briefly about adjusting surfaces kind of before you start. And I would not recommend having more than one ball, if any, polished for most bowlers uh, at, at the USBC Open or, or, you know, any of those types of tournaments. Uh, so the first thing to do would be to prepare to use sanded equipment a little bit more, even if it's just 2,000 Abrolon uh, or 1,000 Abrolon. Um, uh, it doesn't have to be dull, 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 like a 500 or a 360. Don't do that. <laughs> but um, you probably want more than, you, than you're used to using. And that also means you should probably practice with your balls at that surface uh, just to get your eyes used to that little bit earlier hook 
that little bit uh, smoother shape uh, to get, to get uh, more acclimated to that kind of ball reaction. Um, the other thing that I would suggest um, for the, the competitive bowlers who really want to maximize their chances is, uh, from what I understand, the team event uh, for this year is at the Plaza, which is the bowling center uh, that has a lane map uh, available, a topography map. Um, and you don't need to be an expert in this to be able to take some notes from it. Essentially, if you're right-handed, red means hook, and if you're left-handed, blue means hook. Uh, if you see as a righty blue on your side of the lane, it means the lane's going to be tighter. If as a lefty you see red on your side of the lane, it means the lane's going to be tighter. Uh, so check your pair, take a quick look, and and just see if there's if it's a ton of red, it's probably going to play a little drier than what you think. Uh, if you see you know blue down lane as a righty, you're probably going to have some uh, some tight back ends. It's not because of the oil; it's because of the lane making your ball go uphill. Uh, be prepared to adjust for that with your angles. Um, it, does, it, it takes a few minutes to look at, and it can help save a lot of frustration. Uh, and it doesn't take, it's not, it's not rocket science. You don't need a, a big, uh, uh, like, it's not like reading a lean graph of the oil pattern, which has tons of information. This is color-coded. Red is hook for a righty, blue is hook for a lefty. If you see the other color on your side of the lane, it's the opposite. And that's enough to give you a starting point of this lane is going to hook more than I think. This especially helps on two lanes where the left lane has blue on it and the right lane doesn't. You can expect the left lane to be tighter than the right lane. It's not your eyes playing tricks on you or a bad shot. It's just move a little more on, on, on the left lane because it's tighter. All right. Well, all the articles we discussed are available bowlingthismonth.com where you can see a more in-depth discussion of the article uh, written uh, uh, <laughs> written by uh, Terrell about that. So make sure you check everything out. Like I said, bowlingthismonth.com. Also, your ball reviews. I know people always comment to me how they love those reviews you guys do uh, uh, regarding the newest equipment out there. So that's another great thing for the website. But hey, I mm -hmm. want to thank you for joining me. I thought we'd do this just once in a while, catch up on some of the great stuff going on with bowling this month and uh, and just mm -hmm. chat on some articles and uh, and help the players out there who are who are looking to improve their game and, and learn from things. So thank you again for joining me, and uh, we'll be catching up again soon. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks again for having me over.